Welcome to episode nine of the Riptide Lab podcast. Uh, today, our guest is another podcaster whose voice you may recognize, Anthony Maddox from Lucky Paper Radio. Welcome. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Good to finally meet you face-to-face-ish. Yeah. Um, speaking of face-to-face, I am uh, jealous that you and Andy live in the same town. Even if that town is Baltimore. Um, What's wrong with Baltimore? I don't know. Actually, greatest city in America. I I actually didn't want to. um, I didn't want to bring it down at all. I have in my notes uh, a line that says, "Sell me on Baltimore." I I have no. Okay, here's what I know about Baltimore. It is like referenced in the opening of the musical Hairspray. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. why am I blue blanking on him? Famous, famous film producer is famously from Baltimore, so a lot of his work is all around here. And um, Brian David Gilbert, the YouTuber, is from Baltimore, and he okay. references it in some of his work. Uh, and uh, The Wire. That's mostly when I tell people I'm from Baltimore, they're like, oh, isn't that... So is it? Is it actually just like The Wire? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah, you interact with cops all the time? All the time, yeah. So uh, beyond beyond the wire, sell me on Baltimore in like a hundred forty character tweet. Uh, I don't have a great pitch to be honest. Uh, I'm here because I went to school here where I met Andy uh, a good long time ago, and we ended up sticking around just because you know we were uh, trying to uh, actually we're trying to start a new business, uh, which we still run today, and um, we just had a lot of connections here already. So I don't I don't have a pitch for Baltimore. I'm sorry. Okay, so you you guys have like uh, a real like business on top of the, I mean I mean I'm not gonna say on top of next to the lucky paper stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, we've been like great friends and also business part- partners for the longest time. So yeah, we go we go way back and share just about everything. That is great, and I I, I know I I come from like a kind of competitive gaming background, and I, I feel okay. like. Uh, there's a lot of examples of like people who grew up in the same city or even the same household who like you know their collaboration has like pushed them to a new level. Like there's a there's a couple twins from Pickerington, Ohio, of all places, who dominated the Halo scene for like a decade. And I knew I know there were brothers. When you say a couple twins, you you mean one set of twins? Because first I I interpreted that as like multiple sets of twins, and was was a little confused how that was like a phenomenon. Ah, uh, it's well, like uh, uh, it's like Pacific Rim. You have to you have to have a twin in order to really play well. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, I mean, there there were two two humans who were twins. Um. And then I, I saw a video of like the classic Tetris world championship finals where two brothers met in the finals and i think it was being played like online even and they were like just playing from different rooms of their childhood home um i feel like i don't know you guys must get to like uh like form a brain trust all the time that just like elevates things yeah yeah i mean it's great too uh yeah i mean to uh peek behind the curtain a little bit. So we like our day job is we build websites and we build applications. But uh, when we were leaving college, we just didn't really see the the jobs we wanted anywhere else. And we're like, you know what, let's just get together. We have two other very close friends. Uh, and the four of us, it was just like definitely this great sort of creative group of people to be around. Is four still like is to this day. the key number for you? Because like Lucky Paper is also four people. Uh, I think four is actually a difficult number. <laughs> you don't have a tiebreaker, but uh, I think if you're if you're on the right people, any number can work. Okay. Um, so so the the origins of Lucky Paper uh, is you and Andy having a friendship in college, and uh, then you you brought in uh, Jet and Parker at some point. Aboard. Yeah, I mean, I would say the the origins are, you know, we've been playing Magic, honestly, not that long, I feel like, compared to a lot of people, I think about five years at this point. Okay. Um, and as we've sort of gotten more and more into it, you know, it's become a bigger and bigger part of our lives. This, this idea of, like, we should be doing more, like, creative stuff and, like, mm. have this Magic Media empire. 
Um, but then it really started when uh, Andy found a few of Jet, uh, one of our other contributors, articles online that I th- he was posting to Reddit or somewhere like that. Um, and, you know, what we do is we put things online, we can make them beautiful. Uh, so he sort of reached out and just said, hey, how about rather than posting some Reddit, let's combine forces and like take all this like really interesting, like data statistics heavy writing you're doing uh, mm-hmm. and give it a more permanent home. Uh, and then I was sort of a little bit involved at the beginning. And then obviously I've gotten a lot more involved since Andy and I started the podcast together. Yeah. And I, I feel like I asked Parker about how he got involved and then probably just like cut him off mid story. I'd have to watch that again. But uh, if you could explain how he got. So that's uh, Land of Mordor to those of you listening. Uh, yeah, I mean, same thing. Andy's just sort of been on a mission to like find the people that are producing interesting content that you know doesn't have uh, a home yet, and and bring these people together. Okay, well, I think you guys have a a cool site. It looks beautiful. It it makes a lot of sense that you guys um, make websites professionally. <laughs> uh, it makes me feel a bit better about my dinky little like wordpress homepage um but um so we yeah, we're I mean there's nothing wrong with a, a dinky wordpress page like there are all these tools that work well like people are using squarespace and, and like obviously social media platforms like reddit work work great um it's just sort of like the way that we operate we can't imagine not like doing it our own way and what it does allow us to do obviously is then we can do a lot of custom stuff so when we want to make a survey we're not just uh beholden to using like whatever open source survey tools are we can actually spend the time making a custom thing that really really um is is specific to our use case to make it as easy as as possible for people to use and same with like the the cube map and other things we've been working on yeah i i feel in general like a little bit intimidated by like the level of polish of the things you guys put out. Cause like, I don't know, I, I film a video, I edit it and I, I, I put it online usually like within like a 24 hour time frame, while also having a baby. Um, how do you have like the patience to like wait till things are perfect? Uh, patience is a really strange word to use. I think it's more of just like uh, anxiety to not be able to put things out there until they are. Yeah. Um, so, so we were talking about what are we going to talk about um, on this podcast, and one of the topics that came up in in the Cube Talk uh, Discord at some point was this idea of a a video for first time cubers and what you put into it, and. Uh, the video, a couple of screenshots were posted and they were, they were very, um, I guess the word would be like prescriptive, like very like formulaic. You should run this many monocolor cards, this many gold cards, this many whatever. And that is their approach to teaching people how to build a cube. Um, what are your thoughts on it? If you had to make one of these videos. Yeah, and we've definitely touched on that a little bit on Lucky Paper Radio, um, but I definitely agree. Those those sort of uh, introductions that have that really specific structure are, to me, a little bit too formulaic and maybe not focusing on what's important. Um, at the same time, I think it really depends on sort of like what is the problem you're trying to solve in in the, in the context of trying to help someone with their first cube. And if the problem you're trying to solve is they have too much decision, decision paralysis, they don't know where to go, how to start, then having a pretty rigid structure can actually help sort of alleviate some of that and answer some high level questions about just like, or, or you know, take away some of that anxiety of am I doing it wrong if I put this many blue cards and this many green cards or whatever. Um, but I think for a lot of people, that can also just be a hang up because it, in the end, if you have one more blue card than green card, that's not really going to negatively impact the draft experience a- at all. Right. Um, so I always just want to encourage people to just start, just get a pile of cards together. Uh, draft is self-correcting and, you know, whatever the optimal strategy is, let your players find it and, and try not to worry too much about that structure. Yeah, I do quite like the... Um box approach and it is mm-hmm. how i um started cubing was that um a friend of mine here in antwerp um he he was complaining to me about having just like 
this horribly disorganized collection. And I was pretty new to magic at the time. And I said, hey, I'll, I'll put in some time helping you organize it. Uh, and, and basically all I did was pull cards from his collection that I thought looked interesting and write them down on a piece of paper as cards that I borrowed from him. And that became my first cube. Mm -hmm. And it was terrible. Actually, I made a video uh, a while back where James and I grid drafted that first list. And, you know, it, it's all the like awful, super bomby stuff. There's no way to mm -hmm. end the game quickly. So it just turns into like who draws more seven drops. Um, which th that's a pretty like, I feel like you'll learn that that's bad by playing it. Uh, yeah. But I also feel like maybe I've been doing it so long that I, I don't have like a good perspective on someone approaching the format right. for the first time. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that uh, that's another thing that I definitely would want to impress upon anybody starting to cube is that playtesting is super important. And any questions you have that we can try and sort of suss out and analyze just by looking at the list, uh, we can't really do that in any to any degree that is going to be as successful as just play testing it and seeing how it plays out. Um, I think a lot of cube designers or people when they're starting to make their first cube, they have this idea that they're just going to put this list together and it's going to be perfect. They're going to put the cube in a box and it's done and everyone's going to have a great time with it. Um, so the other thing I always try and impress upon people is be willing to iterate and test it, you know, get it together, mm -hmm. put in whatever sparks joy and then be willing to uh, sort of as you play it, uh, make changes and improve it from there. Have you um, ever tried to like design a board game or card game from scratch? Uh, so I actually did do a little bit of game design, less uh, board and card games, but some video game design okay. as, as part of my college experience. Um, and, and yeah, that's definitely a big part of what appeals to me about Cube is actually not just playing Magic, but getting to think about how Magic is designed. So. Uh, even before playing Cube, I definitely listened to a lot of uh, Mark Rosewater's podcast, Drive to Work, uh, mm -hmm. where he sort of gets into the nitty gritty of like, why did we make these choices we did in the set? How did we like do the play testing and iterate? Uh, and as soon as I started playing or, you know, thinking about designing my own Cube, that's immediately what I went back to. It was like, okay, let me take all those lessons, you know, that I've had from previous experiences in game design and everything I've learned from uh, Mark Rose Rosewater there and apply that to designing a Cube. Yeah. Um... I, I have like a box behind me that is like filled with various uh, prototypes of games that I've tried. And my experience has generally been that you spend a lot of time like thinking of some concept. You have to make all the like cards and everything. Even if it's like rudimentary, you have to like put something on paper for someone to play with. And then the first time you play it, you realize like, 20 things are terrible about it that you hadn't anticipated. Um, and, and, and probably that's that's true in a way um, if you're trying to build a cube from scratch. Uh, but I, I guess any, any cube we, we build is kind of like sitting on top of this structure of Magic the Gathering. Like they've already hashed out all the games and rule systems. All the cards have been through R&D, even if we might consider them mistakes a little bit. Uh, so there's like, there's only so much that you can fail while building a cube. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, when, when we talk about, you know, cube is kind of like game design, it is, you know, a, a fraction, a tiny percent of what people that are actually inside the building that are designing magic from, from, you know, designing new sets are doing. Um, and, and yeah, that's so much leverage. It's still going to be a game. You don't have to really teach people how to play Magic again, probably. Um, so yeah, it, it is game design to a degree, but you're totally right that it is not the same thing as designing something from scratch. Yeah, I, I also think that like um, part of the uh, reason that sometimes there's a lot of conflict in the cube community is that Probably everyone's cube is fun. And if if there are people telling you that you're doing it wrong or something, like you you know that you you know you you had your cube on the table and there were smiles all around. Um 
but uh, th there's an XKCD comic that I, uh, I I think of when I think about this, where it's like people stuck in a box with uh, a bunch of pictures of Al Gore eating a sandwich, and they they've been stuck in the box long enough that they start to become like very opinionated about which of those pictures are good and which of those pictures are terrible um and, and probably to an outside perspective it can look like that when there's like squabbles in the cube community yeah it's also you're totally right that everybody is a little bit in their own space and and focusing on what's exciting to them but i think that that comes from the fact that cube is by sort of definition a, a fractured experience it's not like we're playing modern or legacy or standard and the goals are very obvious and shared like we all want to win we want to build the best deck solve this puzzle of what are the best decks mm -hmm. with cube everyone has different goals uh and so I, I think that's what is both appealing about it but what is the sort of like root of all the challenges of having like a, a community and discussions about it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you like, how do, do you feel differences in your kind of like your brain when you play your own cube versus any other magic set? Oh, a hundred percent. It's where do you even start about that? I mean, I think just like the, the most obvious level is just like when I am playing a normal magic set, if I'm going to go draft some Strixhaven, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to optimize my play patterns. I'm trying to, uh, you know, learn and solve that puzzle. Mm -hmm. When I'm playing my cube or watching other people play their cube, I'm trying to do that as well. I'm trying to make my best effort to, you know, win and play optimally. But also I can't help but also like be the designer as well and both take great satisfaction in seeing when things are working when people are you know finding fun interactions and things like that um it, which which just is unfortunate that not everyone can be the cube designer right because i feel like that just makes the the experience so much more rewarding that even when i'm losing i get to learn about the whole mechanics of how the cube is working mm -hmm. i i feel like um I, I I played Strixhaven probably like fifteen drafts or something, mm -hmm. uh, and never once really thought about how to improve it. I think it's right an amazing set, um, and and probably the designers now that it's been out in the wild, um, you know themselves have some thoughts about how they could change it. I played the Arena Cube three times. And my brain was like flooded with a million different things I would change about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Even so just like having that idea of like, oh, cubes are mutable things that we can iterate upon is like baked into you. So even though there's not that much difference in clicking the cube button in Arena versus clicking the Strixhaven button, you're in that mental space already. Yeah. I, I also think it's that... Um, <laughs> it's actually just worse than Strixhaven. <laughs> I honestly feel... Um, that the the quality control that goes into making their uh, actual draftable sets mm -hmm. is not attempted to be applied um, to cube. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. I I felt like when I played multicolor greedy control in that cube that everything was pretty easy and forgiving and that when i tried to play aggro i felt just miserable and yeah i i made the mistake of i went in discord while i was like um like four and one in my first uh arena cube draft playing four color control and i said i'm actually having a much better time at this than i thought i would I don't know if it's that I'm not playing against Dom Harvey like I normally do when I play my cube, uh, but this is pretty, f you know, this is good fun. And they said, yeah, it's good fun if you don't try to play aggro. And then sure. I took that personally and I drafted aggro twice in a row on purpose and had, I felt like I needed so much more to go my way to win a game than... And in one of the games, I even I had like a good three color mana base for a slow deck, and 
it was just so clunky for an aggro deck that I ended up changing my deck to be monocolor, which I, I feel mm -hmm. like I never have to do in my own cube, but like it, and I, I don't really feel like I ever have to do that in their sets either. Like when I play Strixhaven, I never think, oh, I need to shift to mono black in order to win some matches. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, the idea that the uh, the arena cube would have the level of playtesting that an actual set has is obviously ridiculous. Like it's the arena cube is they I'm sure of a small group of people that are working on it, but they're not doing this like aggressive playtesting. They're not spending literally two years on it as a set. Yeah. Um, I think that cube, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad it's there. It's like a much more public place that cube, which is the best way to play magic and everyone should be aware of it, uh, is, is put into a much more visible place. So I'm really excited that the arena cube is there, mm -hmm. but it, it is in a really challenging spot in terms of what their goals are. Um, because the, the typical like legacy and vintage cubes, obviously the idea is we want to play magic. We want to do a draft, but instead of there being all these bad cards, what if all the cards were good? And that's like an exciting hook. There are all the cards there to, to build it. Yeah. But then when they're going to the arena cube, like people still have those expectations about we're going to see these certain kinds of decks. All the cards are going to be powerful. It's going to be exciting, except there are just aren't enough cards on arena to actually create that experience. So I think if you wanted to create the arena cube that, like you're saying, comparing it to the limited formats that has that rigor and has that depth to it, yeah, you would just have to drop the power level down in order to actually just have access to enough cards that are of an even enough, even enough power level um, to be a balanced set. Uh, but then you wouldn't be giving people that experience of like expect to find the best cards here, and people would be extremely disappointed with that. Yeah. So the result is just kind of like some good cards, some bad cards, and it's kind of a pile. I I had to put in my deck a I, I took every one drop I could find. I ended up with three of them. And one of them oh, was a one one that deals one damage to the opponent when it attacks. Uh yeah, Scorch Spitter. That that might be it. I, I did not allow my brain to <laughs> remember the name. Um I I feel like I'm I'm stealing from a a future podcast because i i have a plan to talk with andy mangold at some point about lessons learned from uh from smash brothers have you played mm -hmm. any smash games yeah i'm familiar okay um i i feel like uh the Wizards produce cubes are like playing Smash with items on. Like it's, okay, it's full disclosure. I do kind of like playing Smash with items on because See? I'm not that great at it, and I need a little bit more variance injected into it for me to have any chance. And uh, you know, you just pick up a beam beam sword and have a good time rather than having to know all those complicated moves every character. Has. Yeah, and I I don't I don't think there's anything. Um, wrong with playing with items on i i spent a lot of my preteen years playing smash with items on and loved it and then at a certain point i you know decided i wanted to play no items final destination you know everything that gets memed on for competitive smash that's that's what i got drawn to and uh in Smash, there was always like this kind of like big rift between the like casual and competitive community, mm -hmm. and uh, probably when I like, I hang out in a very items off corner of the cube world or of the magic world. Whereas, like, if if you're designing a cube to like be like a fun, just kind of fun outlet for your usual arena mtgo grinders maybe you want items on and uh the the goals behind that are probably uh much different than the goals that i have where like cube is my my kind of only format my serious format and it's possible that they don't even want aggro to be good you know, like it's it's not it's not the most um it's not always the most like 
rewarding gameplay for everyone if they're like spending an entry fee. Right. And and people are looking for something unique. They're they're they've been playing Strixhaven. They want to do something different that's big and splashy. Doing something different that's just more aggro. Uh, I think it's just not what most people are are looking for. Yeah. If if you've already been like curving out playing Silver Quill or whatever, right. then uh, I mean, sure you can curve out with uh, slightly better cards, but that that's probably not the expectation that lives in a lot of people's heads at this point. Yeah. I love this item item metaphor. I feel like this was actually the, the an axis that I was trying to describe the other day when comparing it, like what, what Andy and I enjoy about the game. I, I feel like, yeah, like maybe Andy's cube, this like really sort of fine-tuned, uh, fair strategy cube is like complete items off Battlefield. So that's the, the level Battlefield? It's, it's one of the levels. It's one of the competitive levels, yeah. And then over here on the other end is like Brian Sanderson's uh, Commander Cube, where it has these like custom regalia cards, and you get the what are they called? The like hero cards that are just these like powerful effects that you the just get to start the game with. Or... Conspiracies. Yeah. Uh, it's like got all kinds of stuff going on, and wacky things are happening every turn. And I'm probably like ten percent along that axis, where I'm not like a complete like all items off but i like a couple items sprinkle in a little novelty here or there yeah you, you want pokeballs on medium occurrence or something maybe five percent <laughs> more like a maybe a, a, some food uh some uh, uh, uh beam swords yeah okay Plasma cannon yeah you you tuned in while i was like at the end of uh streaming some uh a sudden death cube that i found mm -hmm. on reddit and i i wanted to make a video about this cube but i i feel like the changes that i make made to it which i didn't expect to be that significant completely butchered the format in a way that was not um fair to the cube uh, to, for those of you who don't know, it's like a, I think it's like a 54 card cube, micro cube, meant to be grid drafted. And you build 15 card decks and you start at one life. Uh, but we played it exactly, on, exactly what the name sounds like. Yeah. We played it on MTGO where the minimum deck size is 30. And it turns out, uh, doubling your deck size from something very small to something medium introduces so much more variance in your draws and in how your mana plays out that like so many of my games were kind of ruined by mana screw or mana flood that I don't think would have happened in a 15 card format. Yeah, I feel like in a uh, sudden death draft, you, you kind of need to have everything work out. You can't afford to stumble. Yeah. And there, there was a phrase, because there were some games that uh, were really good, and they were like, they were definitely like a, it felt like a, a puzzle in a way mm -hmm. that um, I feel like normal games of Magic have a bit more like freedom of expression to them. And the phrase I used was that it felt cerebral, but not joyful. And you told me that this was a phrase that you were looking for to oh, no. describe an Andy Mangold cube. Yeah, you're going to get me in trouble. Uh, I feel like that is exactly the, the fact that it is cerebral is exactly how I would describe his degenerate micro cube, where like every game feels like a puzzle. There's you have to keep every piece of information, like what cards are in your opponent's deck, what's in their graveyard, what could be in their hand. How many times are they going to be able to recycle their graveyard with their elixir of immortality before you draw an answer to it? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's very little wiggle room. So you can't sort of, that's one of the things that I honestly just love about playing limited. It's like a lot of it comes down to statistics and you're like, well, I'm going to make this, you know, this choice because I think I'm more likely to draw a card A than card B. And if I draw a card A, it lines up better. And mm. if it doesn't work out, you can sort of blame it on the randomness of what you draw. And having some flexibility, uh, just and and like the giving the the player agency to make choices and see if they pan out or not, rather than just the answer is here. Can you solve the puzzle given complete information? Yeah. Um. I'm I'm gonna make a confession. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want you to give an honest answer if you can. Um, I feel like I hope every game that I play that my opponent just gets mana screwed and never casts any spells. Like there, there's something in me that like is always just saying like I'll, I'll play a two drop and I'll say just let me attack with this two drop seven times <laughs> and the game will be over. Do you do you have that like? in you somewhere or is that something like wrong with my personality? I think we all have that a little bit. I mean, it's a game we want to win, but it feels a lot better when you win a fair fight. And and when your opponent just gets mana screwed, that really doesn't feel like a fair fight, but yeah, yeah it's still, it's still a win. I, I, I know it's not like, obviously if like every game ended with someone being mana screwed, probably we wouldn't play magic. Uh, the, the fact that there are good games where everything lines up, like that's that's what like gets us into it. But I still <laughs> have like I don't know, I, I have that hope, I have that like thought in my head. Uh, but here's the I thing, play. here's the way you, you justify it is you don't say, Oh, you just got unlucky, you got mana screwed and you lost the game. You can say, Well, you designed your deck to have too greedy a splash, your curve is too high, you, you've put yourself in the situation to risk those number of non-games, whereas I have decided to play plenty of lands and two drops and will consistently be able to play a game. What do you feel about people who they lose their game and then there's you're just waiting for the complaint about mana screw <laughs> mana flood there's they'll say that the mtgo shuffler hates them oh my goodness yeah i mean everybody gets a little salty sometimes i definitely try to keep that under control and learn from my mistakes uh but yeah if you're if you're in the situation where you have an opponent that you know when they lose you're expecting it to come that's not that's not where you want to be as a player yeah there's to get back to smash um <laughs> there there there's a a phrase in the smash community um there was a guy named john who complained all the time he always made up excuses for why he lost like the sun was in his eyes his b button was sticky uh there was glare on the screen you know always something it was never his fault and Eventually, his friend group started saying no Johns uh, anytime someone would complain. And this caught on like nationally. And 15 years later is still a phrase that people say in the Smash scene. Or John. Yeah. Imagine being immortalized in that way. Um, well, what we need to do is find a famous cube complainer. And I, I'm afraid that it might be me, but we, we need more, more phrases that reflect the community. Yeah, I think, again, that's, that's challenging because it is a community, but not, not in the same way that other magic communities are because we're all yeah. playing differently and we don't have these like, high-profile events where we can say, like, yep, here's this cube person who gets salty every time they lose. And frankly, like a lot of the discussion, what what the community is there for is not to talk about cube gameplay. Uh, it's mostly to talk about the design of cubes. Yeah. Because of, yeah, the gameplay experience is just not shared. If there was a phrase, um, no Anthony's, what would it mean? I, I don't know, like just be trying to be too clever about keeping up your white main lion or something. Okay. Is that something that you're known for? I don't know. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's plenty of things. Why do you even have white main lions? What what cubes are you playing with white main lion? Oh, all of them. I look for like I play cube to play white main lion. Okay. Um. <laughs> I, I see a cube by you called the black. Okay, it's cube. not in the black cube. It's not in the black. The cube. turbo cube. It's not in the turbo cube. It would the make a lot of sense. Multiplayer cube. It might be in the multiplayer cube. Uh, we're gonna find out. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hmm. Not, I'm not, not seeing it. No. Damn. All right. Well, I'll I'll give you a. Pass. Well, but I white main lines just an example. I play cube to enable playing cards that I enjoy, and uh, I have been designing many cubes because there are a lot of different cards that I enjoy. Yeah, I um, I love your cube primers. Uh, I, I've been looking through them. Uh, tell the world about your turbo cube. 
so just for a little bit of context, like I have the one cube, my regular cube, which is actually like pretty thoroughly designed. I've put a lot of effort into it and we play it as often as we can and iterate on it. A lot of these other cubes are more just theoretical. Uh, so we've gotten in a few reps uh, virtually with the turbo cube and it's evolved a little bit. Uh, I have behind me a box where I'm actually starting to uh, gather some paper cards uh, to start building these in paper, but these aren't quite as refined. Um, but the Turbo Cube started because there was an arena event where they, uh, I think it was during Ikoria, they said, do a Turbo Draft. And you drafted against bots, and there was a stipulation that all effects costed, I think, five less to cast. And it was just this like really interesting puzzle to say, let's draft this format, but because we have this emblem, the card evaluations changed completely. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to take that to Cube and see what would happen. And I decided to go for a two mana reduction rather than five, just because I felt like it opened up a lot more space for, you know, cards to actually be meaningfully changed. Whereas just like uh, the, the outcome is basically just that if you say everything costs two less to cast, uh, the three drops, what, which are now one drops, are incredibly more powerful than anything else. Or, you know, two drops yeah. that are free. Um, because a cutting uh, the mana cost of a spell in a third is so much bigger than if you have a four drop, uh, cutting it in half. Right. Um, so saying, okay, we'll give you a discount of two. It's like enough to be meaningful, but there are a lot of three drops in magic that are going to now just like play in a completely different way. Uh, and this was also just a little bit of a joke. Like I, I talk a lot about how, you know, magic is a game where all the decisions, all the numbers, they're arbitrary, they're made up. People really gravitate towards more powerful cards for a lot of good reasons. But also I think when you're designing your own cube, it's a self-contained system. So saying like more powerful cards are better for cube is kind of nonsensical in a way um, as far as like the actual gameplay experience because the only thing that matters is the power level uh, within the cube the, the way mm. the cards are related to each other right um so this was also you know starting from that turbo experience that was on arena and then me thinking well like if people want to play with more powerful cards like if they actually think that uh a moxin is more fun if if uh i think i say in there the um Arkham's Astrolabe is actually more fun than a prophetic prism. You know what's even more fun? A zero mana prophetic prism. Yeah. Uh, and it turned out it actually is a lot of fun. This cube lets you take a lot of game actions every turn, and taking game actions is fun. Yeah, I, I think in that way it's um, probably got something in common with uh, the Pokemon TCG, which mm -hmm. I, I played for the first time, like as an adult um like a year ago and I, I described it as like the budget vintage you didn't know existed like a lot of the standard and effects in that game are just like zero mana wheel of fortunes that you just like you know like you just you can like see so much of your deck on like turn one and do so many actions um and probably this is like the magic equivalent of that sort of thing where you can i imagine like go off turn one sometimes yeah it's actually a little bit difficult uh if you draft against the bots uh on cube cobra which is how a lot of people experience their cubes yeah they'll just pass you they don't know that uh you know shadow blood egg is the most powerful card or guild globe is the most powerful card in this format so you will get that 14th pick um but even even with human drafts, uh, which we've done a couple of, you can still get pretty potent decks. Um, cycling is a cool ability that's free, and there are a lot of these uh, cheap artifacts that draw cards at the end of the battlefield. So you can easily, you know, build a forty card deck with four lands in it, and you draw your hand and say, "Well, I don't have a land, but I have uh, every one of these cards I can effectively cycle." So let's yeah. start and see if we <laughs> end up being able to do. And it you also turn. have like land cycling cards in there yeah so the land cycling one of the really fun things that emerges from this is just again like learning about game design learning about how the game functions and mm -hmm. uh seeing how when we twist it when we break it in one way how do things change and all these things that have like plane cycling or you know cycling for two different land types those are just like fetch lands and, mm -hmm. and we can have this experience in this totally sideways way how did you get into cubing uh, so definitely through through Andy. Um, my my path through Magic, I think, which is not too uncommon, is uh, we started playing, you know, casual kitchen table decks. Uh, mm -hmm. Someone suggested we try Commander. We got very deep into Commander, built lots of Commander decks, 
And then I really got turned towards limited when I started realizing, well, you know, the commander gameplay isn't that interesting to me, actually. Like, it's a great social event. I love the building of the decks. Um, but when we sit down, it's just like, I play my creatures, you board wipe. Okay, I play my creatures again, you board wipe again. And it's like, mm-hmm. there were, at least in the the uh, commander group I was in, it, it wasn't feeling like I was learning and growing as a player and making meaningful decisions in the game. Uh, so that's when I really started, I was introduced to limited and got really into limited because it, it afforded that. Um, and what, I mean, what do you do after that? Well, like this, the synthesis in my mind of what's great about commander, like being able to play with any card in the history of magic, uh, and, you know, make anything viable, but also be sort of a spike and, um, you know, grow as a player and make meaningful decisions, uh, put those together and you have cube. Um, mm-hmm. And then just more concretely, Andy decided to build a cube, I think, inspired from uh, some of LSV's videos and uh, sort of as a foil to his, which is a, initially was sort of a more uh, traditional vintage cube or legacy cube, um, decided to build a much lower powered cube, which could just highlight a different range of effects and strategies. Yeah, um, I, I will admit to not being a big fan of Commander and... At some point, I was and so many, so many confessions. Yeah, at some point, I was even less of a fan of people at the local game shop always asking me to play Commander, and I would say I don't have a Commander deck, and they say it's no problem. You can borrow one of my decks. <laughs> um, and and I, I really wanted to do this. I never did it. Um, it, it's probably an awful thing to do, but I I had dreams of building a deck um, full of like packs and final fortune types of effects and just being like, okay, yeah, I'll play with you. Sit down and try to lose the game legally (laughs) as quickly as possible. It's kind of like a performance art. I love it. Yeah. And I, I just wish I always like had that ready to go anytime I got that question until I realized that um, the amount of time it might take until you get to your second turn in Commander could still be like a 20-minute investment in a multiplayer game. Um, And I I hope no one takes offense to this. I I don't judge anyone for playing Commander, for enjoying it. Um, I... I have always had a bit of uh, difficulty with multiplayer games that have very active king making, mm-hmm. where the the politics and like trying to be ahead without appearing that you're ahead. And I I remember that in my local shop at least, um, everyone had like these kind of unwritten rules for how they wanted other people to play commander that like every game sent seemed to end with people getting upset and leaving the building that they invested all this time and then someone broke some unwritten social contract and uh i I, yeah i don't know I, i don't know where i'm going with this rant i i'm probably like actively losing subscribers with each second <laughs> that I continue talking. Um, no, I mean, I think that's a, a recognized and understood problem with multiplayer formats that everyone sort of has to play in a sort of de-optimized way in order for everyone to have a good time, which if you have a group of people that is on the same page as you is a ton of fun. Like I'd still enjoy the occasional sit down, have a couple of beers, play some commander. Um, but yeah, if you're if people are trying to optimize the game, it sort of degenerates into these play patterns that are just really not fun. Um, which again, like the the solution, as far as I'm concerned, is play cube. And if you like the multiplayer environment, but you also uh, want to be like trying to play in an optimal way, mm-hmm. uh, a multiplayer cube, I think it's just a lot more satisfying than a commander game. Yeah, I I was having a a call a couple of weeks ago with Andy, and I, I brought up the game Munchkin. Do you know Munchkin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I I had so much fun in in college playing Munchkin with three other friends. Uh because we all had like a communal social contract to not try to play the game optimally. 
right you know sit there with all your gain a level cards and wait for the first person to to try and cross the finish line let everybody waste their reactive uh, effects on that player and then snipe them yeah we played that you would start trying to screw people over from turn one of the game <laughs> and just kind of try to make as like creative of deals and game states and things as possible and the game itself if you would imagine just like playing it online without friends and without this social contract is oh not is not something you would probably get satisfaction out of for long um so i i can see that you know i I, I can't sit here and say I enjoyed Munchkin and try to like high horse my way above Commander. Um, not at all. But uh, I, I guess I got into cubing. Like I started out as a standard player and mm -hmm. um, I, I just moved to Belgium. I, I didn't have like a lot of um, spare money for like investing in magic cards. And I had kind of like scraped together. A, a viable deck and then rotation was coming up and i i knew I, I didn't really have it in me to just like continually be trying to scrape together a viable deck and and cube really appealed to me as like an escape from that cycle and a chance to like i don't know play with a card that i liked even though i didn't have the entire like rest of the shell that is needed for it in a constructive setting totally i mean at the risk of this just turning into the uh the two dozen reasons why cube is the best format ever uh podcast that's like that's entirely true um like that is really at the core of what cube is uh what cube does for me and why it's so exciting that if i'm gonna go play commander if i'm gonna go play standard I really need to have the best cards to to like have a good time because I don't want to just sit there and like play my guild gate when my opponent has shock lands and just lose every time. That's not going to be a satisfying experience. But if I'm playing cube and I just put in guild gates over shock lands and everybody's playing with the same like bad mana base, we're all still playing the same game. And and so I think it actually is entirely feasible to like depower any aspect of it. Um, and yeah, just have a, a fun experience on a budget. Yeah. Um, you you seem to be very excited about cube you are on a cube podcast <laughs> um i feel like our format's not very popular huh i think that's a problem we can work on how do we work on it it does have a lot of challenges because like we've been saying, it's not, it's not one format. Uh, like we can talk about drafting the uh, magic online vintage and legacy cubes. And those are uh, like the things that get the most visibility. Um, but it's still like, it's, it's very hard to have a like community excitement around this thing that is by definition somewhat fractured. Um, it's also challenging because it is a tremendous effort. Like it's, it's enough effort already to build a commander deck, which is, uh, you know, a third of the typical size of a cube. Um, so the, the like barrier to entry to actually start designing cubes is extremely challenging. And then I think there's also an issue of just uh, what are the actual goals? Like if I'm building a commander deck, I think one of the things that, that the commander itself does for the format is it gives you sort of a baked in goal. You see like, uh, here's, uh, name your favorite commander, Varals. Like, okay, now I want to find every... I assume that's your favorite commander. Slash, yeah, that's I, the first legendary creature I could think of. I love scavenging. Um, I want to dig back through the history of magic for every creature that I can get into the graveyard as quickly as possible uh, with the most powers so that I can scavenge. Uh, yeah. Or what I was trying to recall was the one that doubles counters, uh, Varel. Then you want to say, okay, well, let me look through the whole history of magic and find every card that interacts with counters that I can double the counters on to try and win the game in a fun way. Yeah. Um, Cube doesn't necessarily have that, like, like the, the commander is such a good thing for getting people excited and drawing people into the format because it provides that really useful structure. So like that, not having that kind of hook really makes it hard to get people excited about cube. Well, and then additionally, there not being any like uh, professional parallel to it. Like this idea of, oh, I, if I keep playing standard, I can rank up and I can like compete with the top level players. We don't, and I don't think we will have that kind of experience. With cube? With cube. Well, I mean, so that wasn't an answer to your question. I'm just saying it's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in theory, the 
people could graduate to designing actual games, mm-hmm. which is is a a big leap. I, I I have like a a game I worked on for a while that is like it's play tested pretty well. Um, but the the thought of like actually like going through the effort of like getting it good enough that I would be happy to publish it mm-hmm. and like figuring out how to even publish a board game is so daunting that for now I'm just making mediocre YouTube content because it's much more <laughs> accessible. But um, all right. I, I want to, how, how do we make Cube more popular? Uh, okay. I think you just keep making what uh, are definitely not mediocre, but uh, quite high quality YouTube videos. I think you got to just keep building the excitement, introducing people to it, explaining why it's great. Um, I, I do think that, you know, for the same reason that I largely moved on from Commander, I don't think I'm alone in that experience of like wanting to be able to play with a whole history of magic and play these archetypes, which don't fit in uh, 60 card formats. Um, but also want to move a little bit away from that multiplayer experience or the like intentionally depowered experience. And I think that just making cube available and being welcoming to people, uh, I, th- I think is going to slowly have the format grow over time. All right. I- I'm going to, I'm going to pitch something to you okay. because you are part of this like lucky paper brain trust. And it's kind of like a big picture idea. I don't, I don't know how feasible it is. Um, to give you another Smash uh, background for context. Um, so as you know, we have been in a pandemic. And I heard about that, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a game called Melee, which it, it's the second Smash game. It came out in, I want to say, 2003. Um, so it, it kind of it predates online play. Uh during the pandemic, some guy quit his job and implemented netcode for the game that is like better than most modern games online netcode. Like you can you can now play melee online with like basically no detectable lag. And they have now tournaments using this like homebrewed netcode that's been adopted by the whole community with actual money on the line and people like recognize it as a legitimate test of skill because the net play is so well implemented and it's so easy to play people online now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I mean, first of all, that's an amazing, uh, I hadn't heard about that. That's incredible that you could like actually just hack the game apart and make it work. Yeah, the the melee people are like crazy, like dedicated to improving yeah. their game because they, 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 they don't, um, they don't get any support from Nintendo, so they they kind of do it mm-hmm. all themselves. I I I have like an idea, which I, I I do not have the technical skills to do, of um some like cube hub for like quickly launching and playing cubes and and the the biggest tackle to it would be one it it would need to be on mtgo because that's where the cards are available online um you would need some like secure way of loaning out cards quickly and that that's been solved by people in the community um there are card rental uh, programs that that you can pay for currently like there's the card hoarder program where you can pay a monthly rate and then you get whatever and then that there would be some kind of like central portal for launching your own cubes and maybe there would have to be some like small like some way to like incentivize you to play other people's cubes and not just have like everyone like launching their own things and like some some central thing where you want to play cube, you're in a match drafting like within a minute or two. Like if if there was some like coded infrastructure in that way 
that I think um, one we could we could play each other's cubes quickly without um, like a lot of the cube discussion is so like abstract because we never play each other's cubes um, and if you have some like cool idea that you have fleshed out in your design like you can just let people experience that rather than like making some vague video article podcast about it and having it kind of like maybe trickle into people's brains in that way um i don't know i i, I don't think this will happen but i would be very happy if somewhere in the future it would happen and i, I bring it to you guys because you guys have like these surveys the cube map you you have a lot of like technical skills uh by your side it's it's maybe not even in your interest you guys do paper magic on your stream but i wanted to know like what you thought about like possible futures for cube and avenues for making it more accessible making it possible for people to get their cubes played more etc yeah you're totally right that the the lack of a digital platform is another huge barrier uh the fact that like you can kind of do it through magic online but there's yeah all these extra hurdles it does add a lot more friction um but like you say i think that uh one thing that i've realized during this last year of, of not being able to play paper magic really um is that the gathering is such an important like that's obviously very cliche to say but mm -hmm. being with people and actually like being in the same room and talking about my deck with people like that is so much a of what brings me to the game. Uh, and without that, I, I'm, I'm not saying I wouldn't play Magic without that, but no, I might be saying that. Like, there's so many things that are great about the game, but that social aspect is a, a keystone. Yeah. Um, and we sort of in our play group did our best to try and come up with, you know, online solutions to keep playing Cube in some format. But even if we're playing the games, it doesn't have the same feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I recognize that for a lot of players, that could be a key piece. Um, but at the same time, and, and I think it's maybe more of a key piece in terms of like visibility uh, and giving people a chance who you know don't have access to a local play group to to play. Um, but for me, the future of Cube is definitely still in paper because that's that's what I love. Sure. Uh, when is Lucky Paper Con? Great question. Uh, whenever all the time <laughs> all the time come on down come on over to baltimore <laughs> yeah I, I i sometimes like i i know there was like a a planned mm -hmm. cubecon that i i guess got canceled yeah um i i wasn't really like around when when all that went down but i, I guess if i imagine doing it like with with my website i would imagine just like renting a house and having like 10 to 16 people uh, around to just like uh, play each other's cubes and do that sort of stuff. I can film interviews of community members because I, I don't know. I, 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 I like, you know, seeing you, seeing Andy, like kind of like learning who the people in our community are. And um, yeah, there, there's not a lot of like contact outside of like people's immediate play groups totally yeah I'd, I'd be really excited to see more like you mentioned kubecon uh it was very it was really sad to see that not happen along with you know everything else that didn't happen in the last year um but i i think there are plans to give that another go and if it if it ends up happening i will definitely be uh delighted to go to that yeah uh beyond you and andy like what what is your local play group look like so this was actually just the subject of the last episode, uh, I believe the last episode of Lucky Paper Radio was talking about sort of how to find a play group or build a play group and what our own experience is like. Oh, the and, how and to me, win friends and influence mm -hmm. people. Okay, yeah. Um, and the reality is like, again, I would not be playing Magic if it wasn't for this play group. Uh, we were sort of playing a little bit. We built some kitchen table decks, but really once we found this play group, uh, it was when it, I had like really fell into the game. Um, so yeah, I mean, Andy was definitely the one that started this sort of cube enthusiasm, but it has grown. And uh, I think just about everyone has at least one cube in paper at this point. And so how many uh, are there? How many are you in your group? 
uh, we probably have, you know, eight to 10 people that are, you know, the, the regulars who will show uh-huh. up, pretty much will show up to any, any cube related events, but uh, a, a broader sort of group of people that will be there occasionally, or, you know, we'll uh, meet up at the local game store. Yeah. Yeah. When I, for a long time, actually for, for years, the, uh, our office actually was where um, the, the play group would meet just because, you know, we had extra space. It was, you know, not being used after hours. So we just said, Hey, people have sort of been gathering at coffee shops and things like that. What if we just make a regular weekly meetup and just all play magic at our office? Uh, and we would have, you know, every week, 20 people, sometimes a lot more. Wow. Uh, and that ended up sort of, yeah, morphing into our local game store because some of the members of that, of that group realized, well, we have uh, this, clearly this, this market, this captive interest. Can we actually just turn this into a shop? And uh, it's great. It's a good shop. Oh, so that, that, the the shop did not exist already correct yeah oh wow oh yeah when i when i did uh paper cubing um i played in a local shop here and we we had like a rotating cast of like 50 people and just different people would be available uh week to week um but yeah it's it's playing in a like the the shops here are just kind of like out we'll spend dozens of hours like there's computers mm-hmm. there there's you can get food and drinks there like there's kind of it's a social social hub for uh cardboard and digital loving people uh but i i guess the downside to playing in your office is that anyone who's not invited would not encounter it yeah there was definitely a uh social media effort but yeah it was a lot of word of mouth of people learning about it okay so uh, so having a, having a consistent place that's you know open all the time and people can google it and uh show up if they're outside of the group is definitely a, a huge asset to bring more people into the game yeah that, that's probably more accessible than people showing up totally. to your closed office yeah um yeah uh what what's the are you comfortable like giving a glimpse behind the curtain into like the future of lucky paper uh sure uh we have a long long list of github issues to get through um yeah i mean there's there's a lot of projects that we have sort of on the horizon the cube map has been a big thing these surveys are are, are, uh the perspective surveys where we sort of uh ask everyone to share what cards in the new set they're interested in and then we compile that into a big graph of what are the top cards most contentious cards all this kind of stuff um all these things are going to continue to grow uh as people continue to make more cubes on cube cobra uh the performance of the cube map gets worse and worse and one of these days i'm gonna have to do a lot of work to, <laughs> to make that keep working. Um, yeah. I don't know that there's a lot that is like we have we have sort of plans for expanding the cube map potentially into other formats and just using that same technology to try and uh, reveal interesting patterns in other other formats. You mean uh, like battle box or something be, like that? Uh, Commander is actually what we've been looking at. I hope that's not giving away yeah. any secrets that might be giving away too much of a secret but uh, I apologize. well okay I'll, I'll i'll let you in on something like we're like an hour into this so like mm-hmm. probably like three people are going to make it to this point in the youtube video anyways so hopefully they don't uh oh seeker <laughs> says nobody heard that so Perfect. it's it's been confirmed uh, what you said has not been heard so you, you guys you're you're gonna take over all of magic is what i'm hearing i wouldn't say that i mean we've been doing a lot of these little projects but uh i I think that not trying to do everything is definitely part of at least my philosophy in like building software abstractly and building things like i'm much more interested in uh making things that you can get information into and out of that can integrate with cube cobra if you uh we're building something else that works with decks, making sure you can get that content in and out uh, and just, you know, does the one thing well, doesn't try to be the whole ecosystem. Um, but yeah, we're going to try and take over all of magic for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. A, a final request that um, Parker said I had to ask you is for a recipe. 
that's mortifying. Um, I don't have recall for for these kinds of things. What kind of recipe are you looking for? I don't know. What are, what are you known for? Why why would Parker tell me to ask you? You must have some reputation for recipe creation. Uh, it's it's possible. It, it comes up now and again on Lucky Paper Radio. Uh, Andy and I are both very much uh, food people. We love to cook. We love to eat. Um, I have a specific interest in Sichuan cuisine, which is. Uh, to be transparent, not something that I'm like super eager to uh, uh, be giving away recipes because like you don't need a, people don't need a mediocre white dude telling them how to cook Chinese food. But it is like something I really, really love and am passionate about. Um, so I could give you a recipe for twice cooked pork just because I, it's on my mind because I cooked it last night. Yeah. All right. Twice cooked pork is very easy. Uh, you're going to start with some pork belly. Uh, you're going to boil it, which sounds weird if you're, you know. In modern cuisine, boiling meat sounds a little bit weird. Is this the uh, first cooking? This is the first cooking. Okay. Uh, for about 15, 20 minutes until it's cooked through. Uh, take it out of the water, put it in the fridge uh, for an hour, a couple hours until it gets cool. Yeah. Then you can slice it very thinly against the grain. And then you basically stir fry that. So you take these slices of pork, uh, you stir fry them in a pan, and then you add, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to just give you the source. Go ahead and look at Fuchsia Dunlop's, uh, what is it? The original book was called Land of Plenty. I believe it's called The Food of Sichuan is the new edition. Okay. Um, so go there for the specifics, but you stir fry it with chili bean paste and this Chinese sauce called uh, sweet wheaten paste, um, fermented black beans, uh, and then you add a bunch of uh, leeks or scallions or some other greens and stir fry that all together, and it is delicious. All right. Um, how extremely do I, spicy and salty and rich and fatty. How do I adapt this recipe for my vegetarian wife? There are so many other great recipes. <laughs> <laughs> this one is all pork. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you, Anthony, for coming on the show. You've been a wonderful guest. And... Uh, I, I will I will see you around. I'll see you on Discord. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yep. Thank you everyone for watching. Bye.